Hey, welcome everybody to another episode of From No Crypto to No Crypto. I'm the crypto coach, Blockchain Wayne. Today we're joined by Paul from Edge. Paul, thanks for joining us today for this podcast. And of course, Wayne, thanks for having me. It's been quite a number of years. We've known each other, always chat about really cool, interesting stuff. Love to do it now with an audience and actually share what we normally just yammer about, you know, at conferences whenever we run into each other. So, uh, yeah, let's let's get Absolutely. things out there into the broader ecosystem. Yeah, bring in some of that those great combos, whether it's at the conference or late night tacos. Yeah, uh, exactly. let's br some bring it in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, Paul, yeah, I mean, you've been in this space for quite a while. I've uh, done quite a bit, uh, really an advocate for for this space. So tell everybody a little bit uh, about your background and what, what brought you into into this world. My mom brought me into this world um, <laughs> uh, in some many ways, but uh, my background's been pretty mixed. And so I think at heart, I'm a technologist. I'm a developer. Um, I went to school for that, you know, back in the days before the internet was so Plurific with information on becoming a developer, people had to go to college, <laughs> right? A lot of developers don't even, probably don't even have to go to college to, to be a software developer, at least. You know, so went to Berkeley, studied electrical engineering, computer science, more on the computer science side. Was really fascinated by the hardware side, although I ended up working in software. Um, uh, worked for NVIDIA for a number of years. That's actually really where I really, really gained a lot of my kind of experience and knowledge. And I was super fortunate to work with amazing people, like amazing, super smart folks. Um, uh, for almost 10 years, probably like seven, eight years, I worked there. And I, I liked working with a team that wanted to solve hard problems, you know, and for me, graphics, you know, at the time, NVIDIA was known just for graphics, right? Now it's like AI and general <laughs> computing and mining and whatnot. But time was purely graphics and I was a gamer, you know, I think you can relate to that, right? I'm, I'm sure you yeah. played some games, Wayne. Um, I was a gamer and to me, I remember looking at, at graphics on computer screens, and especially the, the transition from 2D to 3D graphics. I remember when like, you know, Doom came out or Castle Wolfenstein from back in the day. Um, and I remember thinking to myself, that to me is equivalent of magic. I have no idea what kind of magic software developers go through to put that imagery on screen. And so that became one of my most fascinated topics in computer science. And while the school I went to, Berkeley, while people have regarded it as a pretty good school, was unfortunately very, very lackluster in their coverage of computer graphics. So I took the one and only computer graphics class that they had for undergraduates and loved it. Um, loved it so much. I near failed other classes in college, right? I spent all my time in this class. I built a game. I made it networked. You know, all the uh, TAs wanted to play it at times. And, um, and of course, the logical you know, step after that, after graduates, I wanted to work for a graphics company. And I had worked at originally for Chromatic Research, which was an early GPU company before the term GPU was even invented. There's a graphics chip. Um, uh, they got acquired slash bought out slash were kind of going bankrupt. And so I quickly transitioned to NVIDIA. Then I was there for almost 10 years. Um, but to complete your answer, and when I say that my, my life's been kind of mixed in the sense that I completely left technology for another 10 years. And the most technology I had touched was being the guy that wrote, you know, Excel sheets at a small business or dealt with QuickBooks and finance, finance and numbers and payment systems. You know, I filled out the 300 question questionnaire applying for our PCI compliance for another small business, a gym that I worked for. Um, but I'd like to say that it's kind of the combination of those two worlds of experience mm -hmm. that made Bitcoin, when I discovered it in 2013, incredibly fascinating. It was like the technology was fascinating because I was kind of still a tech guy. 
Um, but also what it could accomplish was fascinating because I was what I call kind of jaded by the system at, uh-huh. at that time. I didn't know what to call that feeling. You know, there was no like, you know, red pill, blue pill terminology you know, with respect to the financial system. Um, but to me, I was jaded by multiple aspects of the system or the narrative, everything yeah. from, I mean, heck, obviously we just came out of COVID and obviously um, I've been very vocal about um, uh, the feeling that we didn't handle it well, both from uh-huh. like, you know, vaccine deployment to lockdowns, um, you know, big pharma raking in tons of money. And I felt that way, way before COVID, before Bitcoin. Yeah. Um, and so really that, that disenchantment with establishment is what kind of created that alignment with Bitcoin. It's like, oh my God, everything's driven by money. This now democratizes money, gives a lot of people access, distributes the wealth. And while many people think, yeah, a lot of the Bitcoin is held by a small number of addresses, that's still way more distributed than like the dollar. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, that's kind of a little summary of the background where I, where I came from both tech and non-tech side, small business. Like I've, I've held jobs anywhere from like bar restaurant manager um, to uh, program manager at a climbing gym. I did my own little outdoor guiding back when I was in better shape, um, you know, as opposed to a startup founder. Um, but it all comes together and all of the ideology kind of aligns now in the crypto ecosystem. And here I am. Yeah, it's uh, definitely a, a great story. I think that's what kind of drew me into Bitcoin as well. Wasn't as early as you, but same same concept. I already had a kind of jaded from the system. Uh, my first big dive was into the pharmaceutical industry, you know, back in 2010, 2011 and seeing yeah, what the was, sausage factory, seeing what was going on, <laughs> seeing what was going on there. Um, really opened my eyes to how messed up that system was. And then I started learning about the money in Federal Reserve and, and mm-hmm. you know, that, that whole rabbit hole, which it's like, okay, so money as well. <laughs> like the same people much, that elevate the biggest establishments, the big pharma, government, um, uh, control the money are the ones that also dislike crypto. So uh-huh. I'm seeing a common thread there, right? Yeah. The, the same entities typically, and the people that like crypto are typically the people that are also disenchanted by kind of the big rhetoric, the, the big establishment, um, whether it be in, you know, finance, um, money, uh, or like just general health and wellness, whatnot. So there's a trend there. And I found that when I discovered crypto, I started going to the meetups, I found other people in a very similar mindset, even non-crypto related. Yeah. Like we all kind of thought in similar manners, which admittedly, hopefully, well, those friends and family of mine aren't listening. I hate to say it, but a lot of my friends and family are not in that same mindset. Yeah. Um, and uh, it was refreshing to see that there are other people like me. I wasn't just that one guy at Thanksgiving dinner, right? Like saying, hey, you know, you guys got to wake up. Like there's problems yeah. here. Um, and so uh, it's good, good to see there's others out there. And I think it's hopefully a growing number of people as crypto wakes them up too. I've also heard of other stories where they discover crypto, they're in for the money, but they stay right. for the movement. Oh right? yeah. Um, yeah, they get woken up by it, which is awesome to hear. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what you've alluded to earlier with the the COVID, the whole the whole pandemic, I think opened a lot of people's eyes to where they saw, you know, I think it was even before COVID, September 2019, there was already cracks in the financial system, and I was posting about how we're gonna, you know, you're gonna see r- record inflation. And there's going to be some kind of event that's going to be blamed for it. And then what happened a few months <laughs> later? Um, yeah. You know, a lab it, leaked it, out a virus. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's <laughs> not a, I, I, I don't have a crystal ball. I'm not a psychic. It's just when you, you know, when you see kind of behind the curtain, what's happening behind the curtain, it just, it's easier to, 
to point out, hey, this is, this is what's happening. I think every person going. that we thought of as a psychic really is just someone who's good at reading history. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, yeah, you know, it's an over overblown or an overstated you know, phrase that, you know, history repeats itself or it doesn't, it rhymes, but yeah, if you really look carefully at history, that's the thing I've, I've started to really do now is start mm-hmm. studying history. I hate reading books though, like, like dry history books. So I listen to podcasts like Ray Dalio has been really fascinating. Oh, yeah. He covers the history of, uh, of financial systems and new world order, um, listening to Twitter spaces where people do cover that as well. They cite references in history, sometimes even by people that I don't necessarily agree with, um, you know, in, in the TradFi world. I'm gonna hold on. So I got my light turned off here. Darn, ah, oh, darn it. I'm a little bit dim here. Suddenly in the room, it's a problem when you have automated uh, motion oh, sensing okay. lights that don't see you. But anyway, and uh, I'll give a shout out to some of the Twitter spaces by like like Mario Knopfel holds a great Twitter space. Whether you love him or not, a lot of people, you know, dislike right. some aspects of his history. But at least he's he's got some great guests that really educate people on at least the history of financial systems, and that yeah. I definitely do appreciate. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's where I tell people to start when uh, they ask why Bitcoin. And I'm like, well, you need to understand money and understand the history of money, understand what, what has happened in the past. And now required reading that I tell people all the time is Creature from Jekyll Island. Like whether you want to read it, listen to the audiobook, or even if you don't have Audible, you can listen to the whole audiobook on YouTube. <laughs> right, right. I'm a big fan of audiobooks. I mean, that's the, the last two, what I'd call long books that I've, I've quote unquote read have been through audiobooks. Yeah. And that have actually changed hugely changed my my outlook on the world. Part of, some of those are the ones that also made me feel like, yeah, we're we're both lied to and run by the largest establishment in our world. You know, yeah. two of the books that I've most recently read made me feel that way. So um, definitely invite people if you don't feel like you're a reader. I think there's still a lot to be gained within that audiobook scene. Um, we all have that little idle time on the plane and the car, riding a bike, working out. And I don't listen to music working out anymore. Yeah, I never same. listen to music. Um, don't get me wrong, I love music. And I, you know, sometimes I wish I did just because it like, gets you a little bit more amped. But yeah. sometimes listening to this stuff on, on Twitter space and, and podcasts actually gets me amped, right? It gets me amped about what I'm doing, gets me yeah. amped about this industry, gets me amped about like, you know, the, the possibility of fixing what, what's wrong. And so uh, I get amped in different ways. Um, this is just the, this is the current hot way that uh, helps drive me forward. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, you're right about the downtime. Even getting ready in the morning, um, and I've even got a special pair of headphones that I wear when I go to cut my grass because I'm on that riding lawnmower. For oh, we've man. got a lot How of property. Uh, I'm on How a lot of property. Right? Yeah, yeah, those headphones are perfect. They're great. Noise canceling and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. So I can I can pump that out. And same thing, I find a good podcast or Twitter space or audio book, and typically my go to if I can't find a good Twitter space or or podcast to listen to at that time. I'll pop in uh, the audiobook series from uh, Internet of Money and just listen to uh, Andreas. I was going to say Andreas. You know, it's funny because we host meetups here in our space, right? And just as early as like maybe two years ago, I guess now it's like three years ago, nobody did not know Andreas Antonopoulos. Uh Now, I'd say like nine out of ten people don't know him, which makes me a bit sad because Uh I loved his talks. I loved his presence. You know, his personality it could be harsh at times. You know, he can, you know, yeah. he's got that like Greek <laughs> slash Middle Eastern almost accent, but whatnot. But uh, but he he presented incredibly well. And what I loved was he was not just a great presenter to the layman, but he all he was also a technologist. 
so he can get very technical as necessary. And he saw it in both ways, and he described technical concepts to non-technical people insanely well. Yeah. So if you're listening to this, Andreas, I really encourage you to get back out into the scene. I know it, the, the, the crypto ecosystem's changed, maybe in your eyes for the worse, because for a lot of people it may have, you know, they, mm -hmm. they view it in, in a certain way and it's changed and it might not align with their interests anymore. But uh, I know he still does like YouTube videos and whatnot, but it, there's, it's nothing like seeing him on stage. Right, you know? right. And I think I really more people need to be exposed to, to just some of his ideas and some yeah. of uh, just the way he's able to phrase things. That's what I, I really like. So that, that kind of amps me up because it's a lot of what he's saying is I, I've heard it already. I already know the concept, but just the way it's put, I'll, I'll be constantly hitting bookmark, bookmarks on the audio book. Like, okay, like, yeah. I'm going to use that. I'm going to use that. You know, it's uh, it's definitely good stuff. Is he the one uh, narrating the audio books or is it someone else? No, it's someone else. That, that oh, was the only thing. Bummer. Yeah, so now if you want to listen to him, here's the thing about it. All of his books, even if you don't have Audible, they're open source. So you can go to yeah. the website for it and listen to the original. Because all the whole books are they're from the talks yeah. that he did. And they're all so on GitHub. I actually, I think yeah. he submitted a pull Same. request to change, to make a correction on one of his more technical books. Um, yeah. So yeah, no, he's, he's great ideologically. And from that point of view, it's like, you're making it open source. People don't have to pay you a cent, you know? Mm -hmm. And he's like, I don't care. It, some people will buy it, all right? I'll yeah. make a little bit of money there from that. And he realizes when you bring value to people, the value will come back. Uh, absolutely. And, uh, you know, that value has come back to him in the sense that, you know, he's now a well-renowned speaker, at least at the time, two, three years ago, and could easily hit up the conference circuit getting paid five figures to speak at, you know, various events for 30 minutes, Yeah. you know? Um, so uh, hopefully he, he makes a bit of a return. I think the the newcomers to crypto, especially the 2021 influx crowd, could really use his insight. You Absolutely. know, and I don't even necessarily agree with everything he has to say. Yeah. Um, and that's fair. I love I love civil discourse and mm -hmm. uh, you know debate, but I love the way he presents it and uh, and you know how he at least gets people relating to to crypto when they might not be able to. Yeah. Yeah, and also, you know, I mean, a lot of the talks that he's done, he's done, weren't always at Bitcoin events or even crypto events. Sometimes he was talking to bankers and fi you know financial events, and that's really what I we. That's really what we to like the Canadian Senate, I believe, or Congress. I don't know their exact yeah. jurisdictional um, or judicial process, but and I actually invited him to speak at an event that I had spoken at, I think, in 2016, in. Um, uh, in Helsinki, uh, it's an event called Slush, which is the world's oh, yeah. largest like um, startup investor conference. Mm -hmm. At the time, it dwarfed anything in the crypto space with fifteen thousand people. But obviously, now post COVID, you know the crypto space has blown past that with like Bitcoin twenty twenty three and whatnot. Yeah. 2020, well, not twenty twenty three, twenty twenty two and twenty twenty one blew past that. Yeah, twenty two. Um, but you know, obviously, being a general tech conference, they don't have the roller coaster attendance numbers that crypto right. has. And so at the time it was huge and it was so well operated. It's the most well operated conference I've ever seen in my life. And so when I spoke there, I think it was in 2016, um, they asked me like, hey, you know, this is great. There's strong interest in crypto. Can you bring in anyone else? And um, and that's when I had actually, you know, uh, reached out to and tried to get Andreas and he did come and speak. And it was great to see him there and to really nice. share his thoughts with like the general tech industry. Yeah. Um, and the crypto talks were one of some of the most well attended ones. You know, I was on a panel with, I think, Elizabeth Stark at the time. Um, 
and uh, and then he had a, a, a night, a, an awesome solo talk. So, cool. yeah, hope to yeah. hope to get him out there again. Yeah, and you know we need more of that because if we're just constantly having these crypto conferences where we're, we're it's almost like an echo chamber it becomes because we're talking to yeah. marketing. I mean, think about it. I mean, we, we see each other for a while. We were seeing each other every every month, every couple months at at a conference. You see a lot of the same people. It's an echo chamber of attendees and everything else. And having an aspect like this is going to bleed into so many different aspects of business and tech in the future that that's where we need to be meeting people where they are instead of right, waiting for right. them to come to a crypto conference. Because uh, we're only going to grow more adoption if we grow grow the user base, onboard more users. But to yeah. do that, there's got to be barriers <laughs> that are broken down in terms of uh, misconceptions people have. Uh, you know, with with a lot of things as far as what this technology is, what it isn't, what is possible with it. Uh, so, yeah, we've actually um, yeah. for some people that know me and, and know our, our company, they know that we actually host uh, meetup events here in our office. About one third of the space, quarter one third, one quarter of the space is like you know uninhabited with desks. There's no desks there, so we actually use that as like a little event space. Got a little mini tiny stage, a little projector and whatnot. We got you know a few dozen chairs. We could fit like seventy-ish people comfortably. A hundred bleeding out of it, um, and we've primarily hosted meetups in the crypto space. You know since we moved in, mainly because it seemed like the crypto industry were the most willing to do in-person events after COVID. Yeah. Twenty twenty-one hit. We moved July of twenty twenty-one. You know pretty much right at the start of July of twenty twenty-one, we moved into the space, and we started inviting the meetup groups. One which I've been a co-organizer of myself for years, and then other meetup groups, including like the Android developers, iOS developers, JavaScript developers, blah blah blah, and none of them would come out. Right. But we knew the value. I'm trying to get to the point, which is that yeah. we wanted other people, non-crypto people, coming out so that they can be immersed, maybe amidst some of the more crypto scene, and that we mm -hmm. could introduce them to crypto and Edge, maybe give them a little bit of free, you know, Litecoin, Bitcoin, you know, just a giveaway into the audience. Um, but admittedly, it wasn't until more recently that we actually had some non-crypto um, meetups willing to come out. The first one was an AI meetup, and it yeah. was a machine learning, San Diego machine learning AI meetup that had not had an in-person event since 2020, if not 2019. This wow. was their first in-person event. They, they've been like that hesitant to have one, but it packed the house. There's probably 100 plus people, 120 people that came out. And I think this is a an open uh, kind of not calling invite, but a, a, a wake up call to meetup organizers um, out there that are doing just general tech meetups or whatnot. It's like, you know, um, people do have this desire to meet in person. They, uh -huh. they want to be able to shake hands with people, say hi, you know, break bread, do a cheers, have some beer with each other. Um, and that's how a lot of networking, a lot of things kind of start. You know, yeah. yes, we've got great digital tools such as what we're using right now, you know, to be able to communicate. But nothing, nothing beats that that face to face interaction and the serendipity of it. So, I yeah. invite those groups to to kind of start, you know, kick it off again. It's not 2021 anymore. It's not 2020 anymore. You know, we yeah. still have a couple of meetup groups here that are still all 100% virtual. I'm like, you yeah, know, why? we've got an open yeah. invite if you're a meetup group organizer in San Diego, especially in the tech space. Um, you know, holler at me. We'll let you know if we can uh, we can support you with uh, a space and possibly even some sponsors that might be interested in supporting. There you go, man. I've been looking for a reason. I'm like, when am I going to be anywhere even near or, or worth a hop to, to San Diego? I mean, I'm going to just have to plan a trip. You guys were in L.A., I, I think, and uh, and uh, we didn't catch you, but I was going to say that would have been perfect. 
to get yeah. Theo to speak at the at some of the crypto meetups over here. I forgot what it was, but I had something like right. NFT I even considered that. Something. I had NFT something LA. like the next week. Uh, yeah, it was yeah. NFTLA, or it's called Outer Edge now. But we were there for yeah. that. And I, it's funny enough, I never reached out to you, but I did. I was like, okay, uh, a quick trip to San Diego. What would that look like? Maybe I'll reach out. And then I looked at my calendar. I was like, oh, I've got to be somewhere like two days later. Yeah. yeah so yeah, I was like, no, yeah. they're not going to work this time. But we'll definitely figure something out. And I love, you know, those in-person events, you're right. People, people really thirst for, for, for that interaction, that, that in-person thing. And these events that are doing virtual now or, or meetups that are doing virtual, you can still have that aspect. There may still be people that can't meet in person for one reason or another, but why not do stream do a hybrid it. event where you can stream it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Exactly, which is what we do. Pretty much all the meetups, uh, the meetup that at least I'm a co-organizer of, and Madison, who you've met, is the like at this point like one of the primary host organizers. We stream all of those. Yeah. Um, for other meetup groups that come in, it's up to them if they want to stream it. And we've got the equipment. If they don't, that's fine as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you can you can kind of mix it up to make sure you're not excluding anybody, mm. um, but at least allow for those that you know do care for the networking part to be a part of it because really that's like the most popular part it's the before and after right oh yeah, yeah. the um the the speaker is kind of the topic of the de of the night right like what is it that they're talking about but you know the before and after what people like are there for like it's we're, ha we're having to kick people out <laughs> yeah at the end of the night they're like yeah. chatting and chatting and chatting you know and some people come like you know, really early. It's like, hey guys, like, you know, we're still a workspace here. Like, yes, there's a living room. Go, 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 chill over there. And so you realize that that is what people are really craving is, is that networking. Same, yeah. same is true for conferences, right? Yeah. yeah people yeah. crave that networking side. Yeah, it's funny. I, I couldn't tell you. I've probably maybe seen one, probably two at the most speeches at most conferences I go to. And yeah, uh, you know, it's right. typically we're out out in the hall around the vendor booths. Um, rubbing elbows, just networking with people, making connections, because that's where, that's the real value in, in those events. I exactly. think of the connections I made when I first started hitting the event circuit in 2018, and a lot of those connections that I made then, I work with or have some some form of some form of partnership one way or another with with a lot of the people that I met uh, yeah. back then. And speaking of which, if anyone is headed to ZCon, which is at the very end of July, I think it's July 30, 31, and August 1st. Um, I will be there along with uh, uh, Madison Payment from our marketing team. We'll both be there speaking at ZCon. So I invite you guys come check out the event, especially if you're a big advocate of privacy, big fan of privacy. Zcash obviously is uh, one of the premier kind of privacy network blockchains in the crypto ecosystem. Um, whether you like or don't like what they're doing with respect to Zcash, um, they are definitely a team that has put together some of the most important technology to help privacy within the cryptocurrency space. You know, it's definitely been borrowed by other cryptocurrency projects, so you have to give respect where it's due, even if you might not like some of the aspects of the actual Zcash blockchain. Yeah. Um, give respect to the team that's, that helped build it because it's it's advancing our, our our ecosystem. Awesome. And where is that being held again? Uh, oh, that's right, uh, in Barcelona. Barcelona. So I look forward to, actually, it's going to be my first trip out of North America, you know, since 2021. So uh, mm. I've been primarily in just like Mexico, US and whatnot, but finally getting over to Europe again, it's going to be nice. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, definitely check that out. Cool. Well, Paul, as we move on to the next hour, I want to spend some time and let's let's take some time to talk about Edge and how Edge came about. Uh, I know it wasn't always called Edge. I'm sure you share that story, but... Uh, I was wearing my Airbit shirt yesterday, actually. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, Airbits. Yeah. Yep. So yep. tell us a little bit about uh, what Edge is, how it came about, 
uh, and we'll dive yeah. into that. So Edge is a self-custody app that lets you buy, sell, and trade crypto. We're actually in the midst of a discussion internally in the company right now about how to how to brand, you know, what exactly is Edge. And we've, you know, a lot of people will call us a wallet because, you know, on Twitter, it's Edge Wallet on Twitter. Um, uh, does that really well describe what we are and what we do becomes an open-ended question that's been hotly debated within our team. Um, you know, are we an exchange? Because that is actually the core focus of the functionality that you can do in Edge is a lot of exchange function. I think we have the richest exchange functionality of any app in the market, um, aside from centralized exchanges. So they right. obviously have very rich exchange functionality, for, but from the viewpoint of, of a self-custody app, I think we're, we've got some of the richest functionality. Um, and we're focused on that. So we're growing that functionality, you know, kind of month in and out. Um, uh, but how it came about, it came about actually as a payments-focused app, not an exchange-focused app. And that's the pivot, why we rebranded the name and rebuilt the app. Um, it came out of the meetup scene, you know, hence the reason why we're so focused on the meetup ecosystem and, you know, meeting with people face-to-face. -face. All the co-founders came together through the San Diego meetup scene. Um, you know, even the early, early capital that came into launching the company. And the focus was on building an app that really streamlined the user experience of uh, key management, right? So it kind of do, had a dual focus. We wanted, you know, obviously the key management, as you had kind of mentioned before we, we started the podcast was, you know, allows people to create what just feels like a regular account, log in, right? There's, you don't see 24 words. At the time we launched Edge, it wasn't 24 words. It was, you know, it was a file that you would save and encrypt. Uh -huh. um, and so that was pretty alienating to a lot of people. And so it was really to simplify that, um, uh, while still building, you know, a, an app after you've logged in, building an app that made it easy for you to send and receive. Um, and we baked in a lot of stuff that you just unheard of at the time in crypto. It had Bluetooth and NFC payments. It had rich encrypted metadata, which carries over into today. You could tag your transactions with who did you spend money to, category, notes. Yeah. Um, you could even change the fiat amount of at the time of that transaction. You know, say, hey, that wasn't $301, that was $305. And it would save all of that fully encrypted. So privacy was a big part of what we believed in from day one. Like we wanted to give people what I call the kind of um, like dark wallet type of capability on privacy, but brand it as a kind of in the clear, friendly app that that is um, broad consumer usable. And one of the companies I looked up to most in that regard, at least today, maybe not so much back then, is Apple. And while I don't believe in their closed source stance, and I don't believe in their kind of uh, walled garden approach, I do like that they have probably deployed the most widely adopted privacy tools that most people that use it don't even know are private. Yeah. All right, the number one thing being like iMessage, right? Um, as well, default encryption on devices. So I mean, so much so that even the government hates it. Yeah, <laughs> the government yeah. hates it. You're doing something right. You're, you're on the right track. You're on the, you're on the right track. Um, well before Android and Google deploy that on, on their mobile phones, you know, iPhones, default encrypted, right? Like you just, you get the phone, you set it up, you do whatever face ID, whatever not, but it's it's by default encrypted. Um, and that's kind of our mission is, is to build our ideology into the app, but make it where not only the people that care about the ideology will get it, right? Where, you know, you were talking about you know, sharing um, Edge with, I think, one of your industry contacts. You're like, yeah, oh, that was that was simple. That was easy. He yeah. might have not cared about privacy and you know cared about autonomy and whatnot, but he gets it. And my our theory is that when the people that don't care get it, 
that means the people that do care um, much more broadly achieve that goal. Yeah, absolutely. So that's kind of where we sit. So that, that's kind of the history um, uh, from our early days as Airbits transitioning to Edge, which is now more exchange focused. Like, what's the definition of the app? We're still trying to figure out that one liner. Yeah. Um, just know that it's self custody. Number one, you own your keys, you own you own your funds. Um, it has a high level of privacy. There's no such thing as 100% private. It has a high level of privacy in that we don't collect. As a company, Edge does not collect any personal information. We never know emails, phone numbers, addresses. You subscribe to our newsletter, we know your email, but we don't know what account that comes from. Yeah. Um, so high level of privacy um, and a high level of autonomy in the sense that you know, even if Edge were to shut down, your keys are still sitting on your phone. You can extract them. You can even transact and send and receive money to other people because um, that doesn't rely on our infrastructure to do so. It goes right out to the blockchain network. So hope that's a... Little recap of what we've been building. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. And uh, it's definitely, yeah, when I onboard a new user and I go through the Edge app, it's it's super easy for them. And I think a lot of a lot of people now are focused on simplicity. And just like that guy, you said he may not care about privacy. I think in the end, people do. They just don't even know that they should care about it when it comes to that. And you usually, know how to care? Yeah, yeah. Most people don't really care until there's a problem, right? Yeah. Something happens, there's an issue, and then they're like, "Oh, that's humanity as <laughs> in general. Yeah. We don't care about anything yeah. until it's a problem." Right, 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 right. So, yeah, yeah. So definitely great things there. And you mentioned open source. So oh, yeah. everything with the Edge app is is open source. Yeah, the whole app's open source. You can actually build it yourself if you'd like. You know, go to our GitHub, GitHub.com/slash/EdgeApp. Um, you can check out, check out the source code yourself. You can build it. If you don't trust what we are doing and you want to actually audit the code, that would be amazing. You know, most people are like, don't look at our code, don't want to code. No, for us, yeah. it's like it costs money to get people to look at your code. If you want to just do it yourself, please, by all means, let yeah. us know if you see any issues. Um, and so, uh, and or submit, submit a PR if you actually want like some little changes, fix a little bug mm -hmm. here and there, change the UI, you know, we can discuss it. So it is open source. I tell people, especially, that are trying to crack into the crypto space, especially as developers that are junior, one of the best ways to do so is to contribute to open source because that's right. public, visible, it's your resume, right? And for you to have a, a little snippet of code changes that was accepted by you know a relatively high profile project that's recognizable and used and deployed um, speaks magnitudes of your reputation. All right. All right, it's one thing for you to have an open source repo of a bunch of little demo trinket apps that you've yeah. written, that's great. Um, but to have code that you did that got submitted and approved by a, a completely independent you know, company, entity, organization, and they absorb that into their code base, that's actually, I, I would call that pretty valuable. It's something that we look for when we're hiring. Like, hey, have they contributed to open source? What is that that they've contributed and was it accepted? Yeah. Yeah, definitely, definitely, um, and it just makes the ecosystem a lot better. I think when you know closed source doesn't really allow a lot of growth. I mean, Bitcoin was evolved out of being open source, and I think that's made the network so strong today because yeah. there's there's been so so much that's been able to be contributed from so many people versus yeah. uh, you know the walled gardens that uh, let's just say our current financial systems have. <laughs> Yeah, uh, wall garden. Yeah, yep. And the thing is that the crypto space has become a bit more wall garden as well, from the viewpoint of source code and open source. A lot, most of our competitors are closed source. Yeah, they they definitely are. And ironically, many of them are closed source but use open source. Um, one of our biggest competitors used our, and I think they still do use one of the open source libraries that we created to support one of the privacy coins that we support. Um, uh -huh. 
Uh, but of course they absorb that, but their entire app is, is now closed source from it. Um, so it's, it's this unfortunate reality. It is harder to be competitive in the open source space because obviously any closed source proprietary focused company can take your work. Um, uh, and, and that's unfortunate. And, uh, I don't know how to kind of rectify that other than with weird, bizarre governmental mandates, which I wouldn't agree with. Right. Um, the only thing that I can hope for is that at the end of the day, open source ends up becoming more trusted, um, ends up becoming required, ends up becoming much more audited, um, and more secure. Like open source does not guarantee security. Right. right. Like I would argue against that, even though we're open source, it, wasn't, it doesn't guarantee security. Um, however, uh, a well-established and widely used um, open source project will trend towards being more, more secure uh -huh. only because there's so many people that care about it and depend on it that they can actually look and make sure that what they are using is secure. So look at cryptography, um, just so people know, every widely used implementation of the most popular cryptography primitives, whether it be encrypting, uh, encrypting data, doing a digital signature, uh, which you use every time, you know, you might log into a, a server as a developer, right? Those are called like SSH keys, um, hashing, all of the software that implements that while that might not be, um, the entire app that implements, it might be closed source, the software that they use for cryptography is just about always open source uh -huh. and highly, highly audited. And by and large, no one's deploying a production caliber app that uses closed source cryptography implementations or using open source cryptography implementations because it can be highly, highly audited. Right. Um, now, granted, those are used by so many people and so many companies that it is highly audited. That's not necessarily true of an open source app that might be used by a small number of people. But as that app grows, it starts getting much more attention, it starts getting audited by more people. Um, and then my hope is yes, people will drive towards that because especially in the cryptocurrency space, it's like, you know, having that um, level of auditability um, does lend itself to more trust. And hopefully those are the, the projects and the tools that don't have the security issues that some of the closed source ones do. That's yeah. kind of the hope. Yeah, absolutely. So Diving back into the Edge app as well, Paul. So, uh, you know, it's a it's a wallet. It's an exchange. I mean, it's it allows people. You guys recently added the bill. I say recently. It's probably been a little bit now, but the ability to uh, shop and earn crypto, right? Um, um, it's actually been um, so. Unfortunately, I gotta say yes and no. So okay. we've always had the ability to shop okay. crypto. Not always, but for quite a long time through a partner called BitRefill. Yeah. So today people can buy gift cards to God hundreds. And I think BitRefill will probably tell me it's really thousands mm -hmm. of, of merchants worldwide spending, you know, like half a dozen different cryptocurrencies, you know, Bitcoin, Litecoin, ETH, I think Doge, uh, stable coins and whatnot. Um, and really allow a lot of people to basically like live on crypto practically. You'd yeah. be restricted to those merchants with gift cards, which unfortunately are going to be some of the bigger brands in the world as opposed to your mom and pop shops. But yeah. yeah. You'd be, by and large be able to to, uh, to live on crypto. Um, there was a feature that allowed people to earn crypto from spending. We've unfortunately recently rolled that back. Our partner that deployed that decided to sunset that product oh, okay. in favor of some exciting newer ones, which are going to be coming out pretty soon, which we have okay. not yet announced. So that gotcha. same partner, you know, instead of 
paying with fiat and earning crypto, we're going to be rolling out a new feature, which I think is going to it's going to knock the socks off our user base. Um, but uh, yeah, the ability to earn, unfortunately, that just got deprecated. Um, we may have things similar coming out in the future. Actually, no, we will. So um, we'll have a much more compelling way to earn crypto and an easier way to earn crypto with this new product that's hopefully coming out in the next, you know, within the month or so. Nice. So keep an eye out for that one. Um, and it's it's in some ways aligned with exchange functionality because really what do you do when you're buying a gift card? You're effectively swapping your crypto for fiat. Yeah. Right. Um, and more ways to do that are, are coming into are coming into edge, you know, it, which is really kind of a different way of doing exchange, different definition of exchange. Um, we did roll out a way to spend uh, crypto pretty much everywhere in Brazil. I'm not sure if you caught wind of this this feature, but Brazil has a fairly ubiquitous payment method. It's probably more ubiquitous in Brazil than Visa, Mastercard are in the U.S. Um, which is a payment method called PIX. PIX yep, and what I love about PIX, unlike Visa and MasterCard, is there's almost no fraud because you don't give someone your Visa MasterCard number and they take money out of your account. Instead, you scan a QR code and it pushes payment to the merchant. Uh, push, uh, yeah. It's much like a blockchain. Right. Yeah. Right. It's like, here's your address. Except your address isn't like this weird looking hash. It can look like a weird looking hash. It could be your email. It could be your phone number. It could be your bank account number. Um, uh, any of those could be a PIX address. And now, usually you'd go launch your banking app in Brazil and it would say, okay, scan QR code or enter PIX address and you send a payment to it. Um, what we did now in Edge is allow you to scan a PIX address from within Edge and pay that PIX address using Tether. For now, it's specifically on the Tron blockchains, yeah. relatively cheap and fast. Yeah. Um, you pay using Tether and it automatically converts that into Brazilian real and pays that address. So it's, it is doing this exchange operation, uh -huh. but seamlessly, very quickly, in a matter of seconds. Um, so I really look forward to the next time I go to Brazil. I actually do have a conference awesome. that I'm uh, potentially gonna go to near closer to like end of Q3, Q4, uh -huh. um, and be able to not take a single real or dollar or in, and use a credit card even once, just be able to use Edge the entire time. Um, and while we're not, once again, not a payments focused app, um, really, it's like live swap exchange functionality happening before your very eyes, yeah. as opposed to like, like payments. Um, so things like that we're really excited about. As well, you know, we're going to be bringing um, what I call fancy, not fancier, but richer financial service functionality into the app. You know, right now you can swap, basically a, become a taker in an exchange, right? You know, mm -hmm. people heard the term maker taker. You can be a taker. Um, you could be a maker by virtue of staking. Right, that's like an automated market maker. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you can earn yield in other ways as well, like staking on FIO, mm -hmm. which is not really a taker model. Um, but then soon you'll also be able to borrow. And I think that's a key feature of the financial system right. that you know people use banks for. Now you'll be able to do that in Edge and all self custody, meaning that mm -hmm. there's there's no company entity. It's all using DeFi protocols, um, you know, the borrowing and lending. And, uh, and we, we aim to also add what I call more advanced trader functionality, think limit orders, you know, as opposed to just simply being a taker. Uh -huh. So all that's coming um, and that hopefully helps people understand the definition of what, what Edge is. Um, right. know, uh, if, uh, if people have ideas, hey, this is what you should call yourself. Yeah, shoot me a message, you know, we're open. Are you thinking that. of a name change or just the description? No, not a name okay. change, but almost like what just you call the product. Right. At least right. the current product, because Edge could have multiple products, like you know we talked about, right? Yeah. You can, you can have different apps. 
But uh, the main app that people download today in the stores, you know, like what do we call that as far as its its product definition? That's the one that's kind of a little bit in flux because it it uh, it takes that term wallet, but definitely has um, moved away from what we normally think of as wallets as being payments focused, mm -hmm. right? And more financial services exchange focused. Um, and so trading is a like Robin. Like what would you call Robinhood? You know, um, is is kind of where we're trying to go and what we're trying to figure out okay yeah so challenge for anybody uh come up with uh, a challenge yeah come up with uh what it, i mean it. yeah crowdsource it the, the the community typically i mean that's how you, you said that's how you switch is that how you switch from airbits to edge or uh that one we didn't crowdsource okay um ironically a little backstory on that when we were airbits we already had an sdk software development kit which allows people to build apps that use that same sign-in process that you know you were talking about and you that you enjoyed Wayne that doesn't that hides the keys you, you can see the keys if you want but you don't have to right, right. it's encrypted backed up for you two-factor protected whatnot so we already had a software development kit and uh, what did we call it was it like the Airbits SDK our company was called Airbits at the time the app was called Airbits right and then I ran into this guy at a local tech meet up here general tech meet up here in San Diego um, and he had built devices um, for edge computing. And he was like, you know, I got these IOT, he was an IOT, he was an, like an IOT device uh, startup founder. He's like, you know what my devices need? Can you help me, Paul? Um, we need like, we need edge security. You know, we need something to secure our devices at the edge. I'm like, you know, there might be a fit there, might maybe not, you know, but yeah. the word rang. And so we called the, the software toolkit, the edge security SDK. Right by Airbits. That was okay. kind of the name of the the platform versus the app. The app was Airbits. That was the Airbits wallet. Happy to call that one a wallet. It was definitely a wallet. It was payments focused. And then it was the the edge security platform. Um, and then when we decided to pivot and make Edge or make Airbits more exchange focused, rewrite the app from scratch. And we kind of needed to do that because the language that we written Airbits in didn't lend well to add different chains. It was hard to add Ethereum. It was a C++ app for you technical folks out there. Um, it was hard to add Ethereum, hard to add, you know, many of the other chains out there, you know, XRP, Monero and whatnot. And so we're like, okay, we need to transition to platform. That means rewriting the app almost entirely from scratch with the same architecture though, right? Um, well, what do we call it? Do we call it Airbits 2.0, you know? Um, uh, and it would take us years before we could get all the features in Airbits into Edge. And to this day, there's some features that are in Airbits that we never ported in Edge. So okay. we didn't want to stomp on top of it with a 2.0 that only had a subset of the features. And so that's when we went through this branding exercise, like, what do we call ourselves? And we actually hired a branding company here in, in uh, San Diego that has worked with like Microsoft and a bunch of big name brands. And that's when they're like, Edge, just just like that, simple as Edge, you yeah. know, create a logo for us. And uh, we've loved it since then. It's nice, it's elegant. Fortunately, there was a really clean domain available, edge.app, yeah. you know? Um, and it speaks well for our mission. And uh, not only was, like, where did the word edge come, even come from, one might ask, right? And it comes from that, like, edge computing, edge security concept. And that came because if you think about a computer network, right, network of computers, there's the servers in the center, right? And then there's all the nodes on the outside, which are at the edges of the network. Mm -hmm. 
and you can be right outside of the server, so you're kind of at the edge of the server infrastructure, but you can even further out, right, like the routers, um, and you can be even further out at, you know, people's Wi-Fi points, but what's the furthest from the center of a, of a network? It's people, uh-huh. right? We are the far, far edges of the network, is people and the devices that we use, and that's what the company represents. It's empowering the edge of the, of the network. Right? We don't want to empower the central piece of the network. We, we want to empower the edge of the network. Right. And that's where edge security SDK came from. It's like, hey, we are, that SDK helps you secure the edges of the network, the keys that sit at the edges of the network, the data that's encrypted at the edge of the network. Um, and then we made a full app as opposed to just an SDK hmm. that empowers the edges of the network. And we as people are the farthest you know, from that center um, and giving us the power to hold our data, hold our funds, control our information. And that's where the name kind of came from. It all kind of fit, it clicked, it felt great, you know? And uh, I remember that moment where we're like, okay, guys, we're, we are now Edge. It felt exciting. Uh, it still does to this day. And uh, it very, very much encapsulates the mission that we have. Awesome, awesome. So great stuff, Paul. I definitely, I've told you before we even started this, I'm a big fan of what you guys do. I like to focus on Thank you. onboarding new people. Uh, you kind of hinted there where people can find out more about the Edge app and uh, experience all the different features of it. Uh, you want to say that again, just in case they might have missed it? Edge.app. Right. About as easy as it gets, right? Yeah. From, ed- from Edge.app, you can scroll to the bottom, you get on Twitter, Facebook, uh, Discord, and all the other places and whatnot. Um, but definitely, it shouldn't be too hard for people to find you know uh, the company at Edge.app. And there are, as many people know, many imposters um, in this mm-hmm. world. There's probably like an edgewallet.io out there dot com and blah 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 and there's twitter handles that are all wrong and mm-hmm. i'm impersonated on twitter but the one thing Same. that's nice is you can always go to edge.app and from there find me like I'm, I'm on the about page follow me on twitter that's the official you know place um and uh know that you're you kind of got like got the right person and also have the right company the right team right app you know links to our our app store listings as well. You could download the Android app directly from our website as opposed to having to go to the app stores um, should you be app store free. So anyway, yeah, edge it up. That's it. Awesome. Awesome. And definitely if, if anybody listening is out near San Diego, right, stop Come in. By. Come Go by, check yeah, out the meetup. This is not a fake background. And like, you know, I'm, whatever Wayne ends up putting on his green screen, this is real <laughs> yeah. with real people, you know, hanging out in, you know, in the, uh, that's the harbor and the waterfront park, which is actually a kid's playground. Um, right, right across the street from our office. So definitely invite people to come on by and say hi. Nice, nice. Yeah, I don't have a good view behind me, so it's <laughs> going to be uh, artificially added. Um, Maybe we'll do this podcast again when you're here in San Diego, and we can actually pull up another yeah. chair. You know, side yeah. by side podcast style. Yeah, looking forward to that. Yeah, definitely, cool. definitely want to get out there. Like I said, just trying to figure out, uh, you know, how to make it work, or, or help. Maybe just have to take a take a special trip. Yeah, or uh, hop skip one. from uh, Vegas, from LA, or or just a great spot to go to in, in and of itself. Take take the family and uh, do a little vacay here. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah cool. absolutely cool. Well, Paul, thanks again for joining us today, man. It's been a it's been a pleasure to get to know more about you, your background, what you're doing for the space. Like I said before, I'm always a fan of, of projects and companies and tech that's that's really bringing more people in the space, making it easy. One of the first things I learned when I got into this, when I did finally jump in, I was like, okay, I'm going to buy some Bitcoin after ignoring it for a few years. I was like, this is complicated. When I went to send 
you know, I bought bought my first Bitcoin from a Bitcoin ATM. I was like, what is this long wallet address that I've got to I've got to do that's something? That's what Theo's for. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's and that's kind of I focused on making it simpler through education, and it just pairs greatly with great user interfaces like you have, like what Theo uh, provides to where it makes the process super easy. You mentioned Apple earlier, right? Apple Apple doesn't have the best phone technology out there. What they did is they made an operating system that's so simple for people to use, right? That's how they, they, they got such that. notoriety. Yeah, such uh, you know. yeah. So and I'll say well, one thing, a lot of people have a focus on education. I know you do, you know, we have a blog series that we call Edge Education. Uh, we're closely tied with like yeah. the C4 team, uh, which is one of Andreas Antonopoulos' um, initiatives. But you know what the funny thing is? You know what, what kind of wretches at my heart? Is my aim is to make all of those efforts obsolete. Yeah. Where education just isn't needed. It's not necessary. It's not necessary. Because people yeah. are using products that are just, just that straightforward. Probably the only education that would still be needed is the why. Yeah. The why of crypto. But once they get the why, there's nothing left after that. Like the right. products just speak for themselves. Yeah. Um, and there's not the, well, how do I do this? Or how do I do that? It's the why you do this, why you do that. The right. how is just taken care of by the products. Yeah, and they don't even need to understand or, or realize in some cases that they're using the technology. It's just yeah. the underlying technology. I tell people that all the time. You're not even gonna really do that. And, and I, I kinda, when I'm teaching people when I, over the years about how to, how to do th this and how to do that within the space, they're like, oh, why is it so complicated? I said, well, it's going to get easier. It's going to be super simple one day. But, you know, if you're looking to also take advantage of being an early adopter of this technology and benefit from it, then you've got to take, yeah, you got to experience the pain points now because the yeah. people that come in when it's super easy to use, they're going to experience the benefit of using it, but not taking advantage of being an early adopter. Exactly. That's the pain point. Yeah. You know, that's why we're here. Absolutely. To make it easier for people, but also admittedly to, to kind of benefit from being early. Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. So, right. Paul, thanks for joining us. Uh, thanks for... Pleasure as always. Yeah, absolutely, man. Looking forward to getting out there. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And we will see you all on the next episode.